This is Sandra Ackerman, Senior Editor at American Scientist Magazine, which is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. In our Pizza Lunch podcasts, we interview scientists who give lunchtime lectures at our headquarters in North Carolina. Dr. Darlene Taylor is an associate professor in the Department of Chemistry at North Carolina Central University. She uses molecular engineering to develop what she calls smart materials, substances that can sense and respond in some way to a change in their environment. Perhaps the most exciting use for smart materials is helping to deliver powerful drugs to specific target sites deep inside the body without affecting other tissues along the way. Usually when you think about taking a pill, it goes throughout the body, and so that means healthy as well as abnormal cells get exposure to the material that you've put in. If you can localize the effect by just putting it where the tumor site is, then you minimize how much of the healthy part of your body gets exposed to the drug, because there's always a trade-off when you're taking medicine between how much harm am I doing in taking this to affect the desired endpoint. One area that really needs better options for treatment is a condition known as uterine fibroids. These fibroids are growths of muscle and fibrous tissue deep in the uterus. They are not cancerous and cannot lead to cancer, but the condition can pose a real health problem, sometimes leaving a woman infertile. More often, the condition causes pain and or excessive bleeding. It affects 70 to 80 percent of women. We're concentrating our efforts on trying to develop a non-invasive therapy that can be used for that disease. What's the usual treatment for uterine fibroids now? Uh, There aren't really any therapies out there that totally eliminate the problem other than hysterectomy. So you can treat it. There's a lot of laser spectral uterine embolization. You know, they've gotten this down to a science now where women can go in, especially those of childbearing age who want to maintain their uterine bearing function, um, treat the uterine fibroid. But there's nothing that's non-invasive that you could essentially do at a doctor's office visit. And that's where we have the vision of this going. You know, a simple uh, doctor's office visit where you can, you know, outpatient procedure and, and get treated. It's so non-invasive, so quick that it wouldn't be taxing on, you know, time out of work or your normal schedule. Whenever you're thinking about surgery, you know, you got to take time out, you got to do all these things, which ends up adding to the health care costs even more, which I haven't even talked about. But there's a lot of health care burden costs that's associated and built in with just treating, you know, uterine fibroids by the techniques that are out there right now. Your faculty position is in the chemistry department, but you think of yourself also as a materials scientist. What drew you into that line of research? I've always been interested in material science. It's a fascinating field because I can't think of many applications that don't involve materials nowadays, or that couldn't. Uterine fibroids doesn't get a lot of uh, traction, uh, not a lot of funding in that area, and so we've been able to um, have some uh, opportunities developed um, just by this nanocarrier system, which is about a breath of fresh air to the field because most of the things that people are looking at have been surgical, um, and, and surgery is an option, so we're not trying to eliminate, we're just trying to give more options to women. For some cases, hysterectomy is the only option that these women have, but if there is an opportunity to have another case that would uh, allow the uterine barren functions to be maintained, um, why not? You've developed a drug delivery material that changes its physical state in response to heat. How does that work? So if, 
you start with something that's at room temp, our environment we are now, and then elevate that to physiological temperatures, there's a response that the material does. And in the case of my materials, it forms a gel, like jello. And the second thing that the material does is I've put bonds in there that decompose or break down over time just due to the exposure in the medium that they're in, the aqueous environment. And so the degradation allows if I've put something in the material to be released, if you will, holes developed, kind of like jello with fruit in it. If you gouge around with the spoon, you can dislodge the fruit and keep the matrix, the jello, kind of wiggly. It seems surprising to have something that's not alive and yet can respond to its environment. You normally don't think of materials doing anything other than existing. And so it's sort of a spin on words that a material can even be intelligent at all. And the fact that the materials that I've discussed can do something, they respond to their environment, is the catchphrase that I've coined as smart. They can respond to temperature and they can degrade. So they can do two things, so I guess they're kind of super smart. What's your ultimate goal with this research? What would be the best possible smart material you'd like to develop? There have been a lot of great platforms that have bits and pieces of something, and so we've tried in the design of ours to take the best features of some of the best uh, platforms. Ideally, then, if these best features can be combined, hopefully the end product is much better than, than any of them by themselves. Um, we have something that can covalently link. It's easy to make uh, one pot synthesis for the hyperbranch material, and then the other components are added with a similar next one-step process. And so altogether, you might have about three steps when you get to the end of this complete system that does two things. And so um, maybe not so taxing to think about scaling this up to large uh, scale for something that would be clinically applicable if we get that far. So you have some definite items on your to-do list of research that you'd like to check off as you go along. It would be nice if this platform is general enough that I can entrap something that likes water as well as hates water, hydrophilic, hydrophobic, um, that can accommodate small molecules, that can accommodate large molecules, so small drugs, proteins, that the material itself is relevant so that it can be entrapped and then released. Um, that may be a limitation because we are still exploring how much of that is really true. You know, can we entrap just about anything? Is this a universal platform? That's uh, a question that we're still trying to get an answer to. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by American Scientist magazine. The magazine is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Arden Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Thank you for listening and tune in next time.